Hi, my name is Greg, and you're listening to Catholic versus Atheist. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, if you would please, who you are, what you believe, and how you came to believe what you believe. I am an atheist, although I didn't always know that word. I was raised to be a good Catholic boy, but figured I had missed a lesson or a sermon or some such, given that everyone else around me seemed to believe. I was probably in my late teens when I heard the word atheist and realized that's what I was. I don't subscribe to any god or gods. As for what else I may or may not believe, I like to think it's based on uh, my best assessment of the available evidence. Can you take us back to your childhood? What sort of philosophy dominated the home? My uh, father was in the military, a little bit rigid and disciplined and whatnot. Um, religion on both sides of the family, Protestantism on my dad's side and Catholicism on my mom's side. And it was expected that we would uh, believe in a God and uh, be respectful of religion. Grew up in a trailer through some pretty uh, difficult winters and always saw it as an adventure, more than a hardship or anything like that. A uh, bit of feminism. My mother was uh, strong-willed, uh, independent, wanted to work. That caused some contention in the family amongst the men folk. but she eventually won her argument and got a job and life continued and now is now. Can you talk about your earliest memories of how you categorized God and religion when you were very, very young? Well, it's as far as recollection goes, there's basically two times of life, before 10 years old, approximately, and after 10 years old. Um, before 10, of course, we were regular Sunday churchgoers, and I was always puzzled by church. Um, I remember one sermon specifically where the priest was talking about uh, an all-loving, forgiving, benevolent God. And then the tone switched to uh, um, hellfire and damnation and vengeance. And at that particular instant, the collection plate passed by, and I sort of connected the dots and thought to myself, well, I see a problem here. And I decided that, well, no, I, I don't belong to this community. I don't believe what they believe, nor do I have any preference to be or believe what they believe. How old are you now, and how have you evolved between your teenage years and now? Just talk about that evolution, if you would, please. Sure. Um, in my 50s, now mid-50s, as a, in my late teens or thereabouts, I came across the word atheist and identified as such, understanding the meaning of the word, and went from there about uh, exploring on a somewhat casual and on-again, off-again basis what other religions had to say about gods and faith and all that to see if maybe there was some other strain that I could identify with. Um, it was more of an educational pursuit than a quest for faith or religion. So I kept that up until my mid-20s. Um, so in through my 30s and 40s, I did some personal investigation into related matters just to assure myself that I was aware of all the arguments being made on both sides. And in recent years, that's become more of a, a diligent affair. I'm trying to wrap my head around how folks like you believe in a God and uh, accept the the arguments that people tend to make for gods. And, and I, I think I've heard pretty much all of the arguments, and I've heard enough Christians. I'm a big fan of uh, Justin Brierley's Unbelievable. 
to try and get more perspective from believers, why they believe, how they believe, what evidence they rely on. And I'm not the least bit impressed, frankly. I want to scream at my computer when I'm listening to the likes of Unbelievable. But I understand that they're they're doing it all in good faith. They believe what they believe, even if uh, I'm not sure they believe the evidence they offer. You need to understand that in my case, it's an experiential existential conversion experience that I had. And then faith seeks understanding. This is a project of the Middle Ages. You can look at people like St. Augustine and then all the way through to St. Anselm and beyond into the scholastics and uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, always seeking understanding, but that we take it for granted that there is no understanding without faith. We need to have faith first, right? So any sort of post hoc argumentation will be from the comfort of our faith, which we are firmly established in experientially and existentially. It's a contact. It's an encounter with a person, the person of God. Most atheists, and I'm saying this uh, as an ex-atheist, as a former atheist, I can say with confidence that most atheists are mediocre atheists. They're not digging in to examine their atheism. As soon as you start trying to be a faithful and devout and pious atheist, you will discover that there is absolutely no way for you to maintain things like free will, morality, reason, science, justice, anything that makes us human, you cannot cling to it because you've rejected God, you've rejected the supernatural, and of course, you've rejected along with that free will. So if you remain a mediocre, lukewarm atheist, you will not examine your most cherished assumptions of your religion of atheism. But as soon as you start examining it, you will come to the conclusion that you have to jettison free will and reason and science and everything else. No, I disagree with that entirely. Atheism just takes a position on a claim that gods exist. And my response to that would be, show me your best evidence and let's have that conversation. But when you offer your best evidence for gods, I take that as, okay, I hear you, but I'm not persuaded even in the least that that's good evidence for the existence of gods. That's all I mean by atheism. I don't see any evidence that gods do or even could exist, as I understand the definition of god or gods that most people seem to be using. Do we have free will? Perhaps we don't, but it certainly feels like we do. And the way we get along and live with each other is on the assumption that we do. Is that deterministic entirely? I don't know. I like this idea of emergent properties, that collections of atoms and molecules result in cells that organize into organisms that have some degree, evidently, of free will choice. You're probably at least familiar with quantum mechanics. Yeah, I studied physics at university. Oh, excellent. Then you're probably way ahead of me on the topic. But there seems to be some degree of uncertainty in all this. You smash two atoms together at the same speed in the Large Hadron Collider, for example, they get different outcomes, and they're compelled then to examine the data for more likely than not this over the other thing. So I'm not entirely sure that there is a deterministic place where everything starts, such that you can follow the deterministic trail, is what I'm trying to say. It can change right from the get-go or anywhere along the way, as far as I can tell. There are two things I need to say about that. The first thing is that quantum physics is a science, and the results are predictable and reproducible and so on and so forth. The fact that it's a statistical science doesn't change the fact that it is 100% in conformity with the laws of nature. 
The other thing I wanted to say is that there is absolutely no correlation between this alleged randomness or indeterminacy, which I consider to be nothing but an admission of our ignorance. It's not, as some people think, evidence that there are uncaused natural causes. That is completely unscientific. It's completely unreasonable to posit an uncaused natural cause. It would completely undermine science and the principle of sufficient reason to suggest that. So what we have when we talk about randomness and indeterminacy is just a shrugging of the shoulders because we don't have access to reality. We only have a limited access. There are hard limits on what we can know. We can't predict your behavior, but that doesn't mean that your behavior is free. For example, every motion in your gray matter or in your spinal column or in your nervous system generally the neurons that are firing, they are never, ever, ever breaking or violating the laws of physics or biochemistry or anything else. Everything is in perfect conformity. And this is why an atheist has to, if he's going to deny the supernatural, he has to admit that hard determinism is the case. Even though it's wonderful and delightful to look at the anomalies or the apparent paradoxical anomalies at the small scale or at the large scale, with relativity, there are also paradoxes at their large scale, right? But those paradoxes do not give us some sort of magical atheist fairy dust where we can sprinkle it and say, oh, well, there might be freedom in there somewhere. We know with certainty that if everything is natural, then there is no freedom, period. You need the supernatural. So I don't disagree with you very much on that, but you, you threw in there that an atheist has to conclude uh, one thing or another, that it's a deterministic world. And it's like, no, an atheist doesn't. Again, an atheist is position on whether gods exist or even can exist. But you object to that in, in the same way that I object to you using God as the, the uncaused cause. Aren't you just making stuff up? You're saying, look, I don't really know where all this came from, so I'm just going to imagine a god and call that uncaused cause. No. The difference between God and the natural world is that God is not spatio-temporal. You and I, and the, the stuff that we deal with in physics and in the natural sciences and just in our day-to-day -day lives, everything we encounter in the natural world that we can measure and touch is spatio-temporal. That's what nature is. Nature is matter energy distributed in ever-changing configurations throughout space-time. And that's why science, natural science, is limited and we need to go to philosophy and use pure reason to deduce by a reduction to absurdity proof that the first cause cannot be natural. It has to be supernatural. Why? Because if we assume that there is no first cause or that that first cause exists but it's purely natural, then we have something that is absolutely untenable philosophically, namely infinite time behind us. We have to reject that. Therefore, we have ruled out that there is no first cause. And we have also ruled out that there is a first cause, but that first cause is natural. And that only leaves one option. That leaves the supernatural first cause, which is infinite in every perfection, because an effect cannot be greater than its cause. I don't accept any of that. You go straight to the supernatural. That because the natural examination can only get us this far. We must go to the supernatural or presuppose a supernatural or presuppose a beginning that's not natural. And I don't see any reason to go there. Where, where you claim gods for leprechauns or Shiva, and then we could have the conversation about who's more likely to be right, me or you, about our 
presumption of the supernatural. Well, any candidate for God is easy to either confirm as the true God or to eliminate as a false God. We just need to ask a few questions about the infinite perfections, the attributes of this fairy or this flying spaghetti monster or, or whatever you want to posit as a candidate for God. Is it changeable and made out of parts? Is it a configuration of matter, energy, and space-time? If so, it's not God. It's that easy. We are forced by reason to admit that there is a first cause and that the first cause is not natural. If you want to say otherwise, then what you're saying necessarily is there's infinite time behind us, but we know there cannot be infinite time behind us because you and I are here right now. And even if entropy and the laws of thermodynamics are not universally valid, even if they're not, we can still use set theory. Just picture yourself in line and you're trying to get up to the counter. You took your number and there are certain number of people ahead of you, right? So there's a finite amount of time you'll have to wait before you can go up to the counter. But if someone jumps ahead of you in the line, that's going to delay you. And if two people jump in front of you in the line, that'll delay you twice as long and three people three times as long and so on and so forth. But if infinite people jumped ahead of you in line, you would never go up to the counter. And by going up to the counter, you can picture that as being born out of your mother's womb into the world. So you have been born. Your turn has arrived. You've come to the counter. That means there are not infinite people jumping ahead of you in the line. So we know with certainty, even if entropy is not the case, we know with certainty that the universe has a beginning and that that beginning, that first cause is not natural. Let's say I agree with you all the way up to there. That there's a causal chain, that it started somewhere from something somehow don't know. I'm comfortable with that. We don't know. Maybe one day we will. What I'm not comfortable with is people who presume that gods do or must exist and had something to do with it. I'm asking you, why do you imagine that? I could insert leprechauns or Shiva, as I said earlier, and then we're back to disagreeing about the nature of well, this perspective. Leprechauns and Shivas are either spatiotemporal or not. Either they're composed of parts and subject to change or not. We could do the acid test on any candidate that you have for God. And I just want to address very briefly this idea of God's plural. There is only one God, and we know that with absolute rational certainty, because either the candidate you bring forward is identical in every attribute with God in every infinite perfection, or not. If he is identical, then they are not two but one. And if they differ in some way, then the candidate simply is not God. We're at something of an impasse where you're just telling me what is and what isn't, and I'm saying, why would I... Why would I accept that as opposed to some other claim? Well, you would need to go back and think about the first cause. That, that I think, is your best bet. Either that or meditate on your own existence, because it seems you take for granted this fact of existence and you think it's some sort of random emergent property that evolved from a dead universe. I would recommend you go and meditate on that and think about that, because the bald, bare fact of your existence, I think, is all the evidence you need for God. Either you're God or God is God, so... Spend some quiet time thinking about that. That's my recommendation. And you're supposing that I haven't meditated on my own existence and, and come to a considered conclusion. I, I believe that I have. So. I would recommend going deeper because when you realize that existence simply is, that it doesn't have a beginning, life has no beginning. Your picture of the world is that uh, life came about from non-life. So you haven't sufficiently meditated on life itself. Do you accept or not accept the claim that life is eternal? No, I wouldn't accept that at all. As far as I can tell, we're a collection of atoms that turned to molecules, turned to cells, turned to organisms that are very contemporary. It hasn't always been that way and probably won't always be that way. It'll be something else. The fact that you think that life came from non-life tells me you haven't gone deep enough. Didn't say that. I said, do you believe that life is eternal or not? You said no. 
So you, you have not yet encountered that fact that this life that you participate in is eternal. But um, what basis do you have for morality, given the fact there's no difference between the best case scenario and the worst case scenario for any human being ever? I think it was Rawls who put the, the argument out that if you can imagine having the capacity to create a world that you would be inserted into, but you don't know what position you would be inserted into, what would you like that world to look like, right? So I imagine, it's not very hard for me to imagine that, well, at a minimum, I want a nonviolent world. I want a world where people aren't constantly threatening me or my stuff. A world in which I have of security of person and property, first and foremost, right? Because the material world we live in, we, we value property, we value things, we, we possess things, we want to keep things, we don't want other people stealing our stuff or harming us. So from that premise, then we can start to build a world uh, that's examinable logically and really as to, to what gives us at least that or something better than that. Yeah, but there's no principle that you can give to the selfish psychopath to curb his behavior. You just need to use a big stick. The basis of morality is whatever the group decides, they're going to enforce by uh, threats of violence and uh, taking away your freedom. There is actually no principle that you can give to the selfish psychopath or sociopath. You just have to use a big stick. Yeah, and your stick would be God, right? Fear God. No, my morality is based on the reality that we have free will, we have reason, and we can choose higher goods or lower goods, and we can make these choices, and they do have consequences. You have no principle to offer him. He's going to try to maximize his pleasure during his hundred years on Earth, and he, believe me, his approach will be radically different from your nice guy approach. Probably, yes, I accept that. So then we're, we're dealing with um, a, a remedy of sorts, right, to address the psychopath. <laughs> you don't have a principle, though. You have nothing to say to someone who says that I cheat in this way, I cheat in that way, but uh, I have an airtight plan where I'll never be caught, I will never have to be punished in this life, and there is no afterlife, so as long as I can get away with it in this life, I'm living large, I'm enjoying my life more than you are because you're trying to be a goody-goody, and you're trying to please your neighbors, and you're trying to like maximize everyone's pleasure, well, I'm choosing to maximize my own pleasure, and I'm getting away with it, and there's absolutely no principle that you have to offer me because you're an atheist. Whereas if I were to meet this person, I could put the fear of hell into them and they have a lasting consequence that differentiates the outcome based on the worst case scenario if they do the wrong choices or the best case scenario if they strive to do the right thing for the right reasons. Do you see the difference? I have principles and you, you only have a group thing. Why can't I do the same thing in real time and real world? Put them in jail, remove them from the rest of society. Because he's sophisticated and he's not going to get caught. And he's laughing at you. No, that's not, that has nothing to do with atheism. No, but listen, two atheists are discussing their morality, okay? Neither one believes that there's any afterlife. Both of them believe that total annihilation awaits them no matter what they do. And they're talking to each other and they're comparing notes on morality. And one person says, I try to use John Rawls' theory of justice. And the other one laughs at you and says, you're a complete fool wasting your life. I have so much money and pleasure and power and I have the respect of my community because I know how to play the game and maximize my individual pleasure. You've been sucked into some groupthink where you're trying to please your neighbors and everyone else and be a nice guy. There's nothing you could say to that guy. There's no principle that you could say to him. He's winning in the game of life in the atheist worldview. Well, there is, in fact, a lot I could say to that person. Now, I will agree with you as to whether it's going to be effective or not remains questionable if they are, in fact, a psychopath. 
But I would argue that most of us are natural born psychopaths and we learn over time about what works and what doesn't work because we're social creatures who need each other. Babies, for example, learn what works to get their mother's attention or the resources they're looking for, be it food or a clean diaper or whatever. And we learn that all the way along. We learn with our interactions with other people that we can't be that purely selfish and expect to get along with other people. If we take from other people and and harm other people, some of those back looking for us, for revenge, right? It's the way the old world was, the tribal old world. If you harm me or my family, then my village will come after your village and probably indiscriminately harm some member of your village, whether they were responsible or not. Therein lies chaos for everybody. So what we need people to understand is what results from this sort of psychopathic behavior as you're portraying it. Yeah, he can call me a fool, and we can argue all day long and all week long about who's right and who's wrong. But you asked me where my sense of morality comes from, and that's what I've given you. Now you're saying, but there are problems with that. Well, there's problems with every model of morality, as I understand, even yours. I would use jail or the threat of jail to deter a psychopath in the same way you would use, I presume, the threat of eternal damnation on the supposition of your God. What's the difference? Well, what's the difference between finite and infinite? You don't know? No, what's the difference between my remedy, my proposed remedy to a psychopath or psychopathic behavior, and yours? Your punishment is finite. My punishment is infinite. That's the difference. If you can't grasp the difference, I don't know what to tell you. It's it's a big difference. Well, let, let's say then my prop, and I'm not saying this, so don't misconstrue it that way, but let's take my proposition to the extreme and say the sentence is death. There, now it's infinite. But all of the psychopath's problems are over as soon as he's dead, according to you. All of our problems are over by eliminating the psychopath. Yeah, your problems are over and his problems are over. If you want to talk about the biggest stick, then there you go. My stick versus your stick. What's the difference? But there is no suffering. Once you're annihilated, there's no suffering. So there, there is no comparison between complete annihilation and hell. There's absolutely no comparison whatsoever. So now you're striking me as a bit cruel. You want to intimidate people into compliance by the supposition of a god. And all I want to do is try and solve the problem in a way that hopefully most or all people can agree to. And if the psychopath disagrees and says, you can't do this to me because my rights are just as valid as yours, it's like, yeah, it gets a little complicated there. We can't have this. Everyone else is at risk because of your behavior, and we need to stop your behavior. Yeah, I don't think we're going to uh, see eye to eye on morality, but I do at the end of my interviews, I ask my guest to give a little closing thought, a little message of hope from your own perspective. What do you think you might be able to say to the listeners? Look, life is difficult. It's a struggle. There's lots of suffering. It seems to be unavoidable. Maybe try to be kind. Be kind to the extent you can. And if you're not getting that back in kind, then either remove yourself from the situation or deal with it as best you're able. But start with be kind. Let's, let's not be unnecessarily brutish with each other. We, we have to figure out how to live together without devolving into chaos. And part of my concern about religion, among other ideologies, is it divides us into tribes of people who think this is right and that's wrong. I don't know that there is a right and a wrong. There certainly is different moralities coming from different cultures, different ideologies, including religious ones. So can we maybe put that aside and just try and live together more kindly, as opposed to self-righteously or ideologically, I suppose? Thank you. 
If you like your worldview, if you think it's swell, if you've got some questions, ask me and I'll tell. All you've got to do is ask. All you've got to do is ask.